Hi, my name is Catherine Williams. I'm an accredited specialist solicitor in family law and I work for Mullane and Lindsay Solicitors in Newcastle and we also have a teacup spot. Catherine, is marriage more important than a de facto relationship? Marriage is a more formal type of a relationship, but for family law, it's not really considered more important. Marriage is obviously something that comes about after people go to a ceremony, where a de facto relationship is a more informal type of relationship, in as much as it comes about after people have lived together for more than two years, or where they've had a child together or perhaps they own property together, or one of them has made a what's called a substantial contribution to the financial contribution to the assets of their partner. So the main way that marriage and de facto relationships are considered different in family law is when it comes to property settlement. But since about 2009, they're actually not treated very differently at all. As long as you've been in that relationship for more than two years or there are those substantial financial contributions or a child, considered very much the same as a marriage. Is property automatically divided 50-50 when a relationship breaks down? No, it's not. There's no automatic presumption that your assets will be divided equally if you you break up. The questions are always a matter of what contribution each of the parties, the husband and the wife or the de facto husband and wife, have made towards the acquisition, conservation and improvement of those assets during their relationship and perhaps even after they've separated. So it's a question of what financial and non-financial contributions has each made toward those assets. And non-financial contributions might include renovations or other sorts of investments that don't directly relate to money but improve or cause assets to be acquired. But the contributions also have to take into account a homemaking role of, of one or both of the parties and a parenting role. So it's the whole picture of those contributions and how they can then be just and equitably divided between that couple once they've broken up. But that's not all that's considered. We'd also need to look at what they each need for the future. So that might be whether one of them has an illness or whether one of them has a much lower or higher income than the other or whether one of them has received an inheritance or a big gift of money or some other windfall, particularly late in their marriage. But overall, it is quite common that people divide their assets equally because they consider it to be fair, perhaps because of the length of their relationship or the fact that they both accept that they've both worked really hard to get them where they are. There is some family law authority to support the idea that assets should be divided equally, particularly after a very long relationship, but it's, it's not an automatic presumption. Is it easy to get a prenuptial agreement? It's actually not very easy. In Australia, there is a system for, I guess, what's commonly referred to as a prenuptial agreement, but they're actually quite hard to get. So in Australia, they're called a financial agreement, and a financial agreement can be entered into before a relationship begins. It could be before a de facto relationship. It could be before a marriage. And that's the prenuptial sort of aspect of of those types of agreements. But they can also be used during a relationship in the event that, you know, when people are thinking what happens if we break up and also after a separation, they're, they're often used as well. But they're quite a complex document in that they're like a contract that the parties to this relationship are looking to enter into that covers their entire future, especially if this is the beginning of their relationship.
So it's like doing a property settlement after you've broken up, but before you've even started out together. So there's got to be full disclosure of financial circumstances. There's got to be a very clear agreement about what each of them will get if they break up. And there's very strict legal rules about how that agreement has to be entered into and has to be signed. So both of the people signing up to this agreement have to have independent legal advice about the advantages and disadvantages of the agreement. And these agreements are at risk of being overturned where it appears that that advice hasn't been properly given or where they have been coerced or induced in some way to enter into the agreement and it wasn't quite voluntary. So they're quite complicated, but these financial agreements are the the best protection that people can have for the end of their relationship at the beginning of their relationship. Can you get full custody of your children? Full custody is a term that... I hear a lot as a family lawyer, people often ask, can I get full custody or will they get full custody? But that's not terminology that's used in the family law in Australia anymore. It's been quite some time since those terms were used, but they're still quite freely used in the community. What the family law talks about these days is where a child will live and how much time how much uh, time they'll spend with their other parents. So it's a live with, spending time with discussion normally. And the question that has to be asked is, well, what's in the best interest of that child in all of their circumstances? So a court order made by a judge, whether that's after a long court case or by agreement somewhere along the line, that a child doesn't spend any time with one of their parents is quite rare. And it's a very hard decision for a judge to have to make because the family law in Australia makes it quite clear that each child has the right to know and be cared for by both of their parents as long as they're safe in that relationship and they're not being exposed to violence or or risk of of various forms. So it's it's quite unusual for a parent not to see a child at all and full custody is very unusual. If that sort of argument has to be run in a court case, there's multiple days in court. It can be very, very expensive. There'd need to be expert evidence given by social workers or psychologists about the impact on that child of of not seeing their parent. So it really comes down to what is the risk to that child of having a relationship with the parent versus what would the risk of not having the the relationship be. So we're still looking overall at what's best for a child. Catherine, the last question here, do children automatically spend an equal amount of time with each parent after separation? Do you think you might have answered part of that? Yeah, I guess I have. It is a question of, well, what's best for kids? What's in their best interest after their mum and dad break up? And look, the the equal time question is a little bit more complicated in that where mum and dad, once they've broken up, agree that they're going to have equal shared parental responsibility for their kids. So they, you know, they're agreeing that the big decisions they'll make together, you know, will will the where will the kid go to school? Will they have a religious education um, or or have a particular religion? Will they be known by a certain name? What medical treatment will they have? Where mum and dad agree that that there are decisions that they'll make together. Then the family law says, well, look, um, where mum and dad can't agree, the court has to consider whether there should be equal time between the parents. So there's a requirement to consider it, but it's not an obligation on a court to impose it on mums and dads. People do like having an equal time arrangement, whether that's a week with mum and a week with dad or something along those lines, because in our busy lives, it works for them and it works for the children, but it's not for everyone. 
There needs to be a lot of free communication between parents to make it work and the children need to be able to manage the change in household. It is a big deal for a child to move all of their things from one household to the other week to week. So some parents really think that equal time works well for them and it can be a very effective parenting arrangement for lots of families. But other parents don't find it such a great idea. It can be quite disruptive and if the mum and dad don't get along so well, it can be very difficult to, to manage an equal time arrangement. Where mums and dads can't agree, it ultimately becomes a matter for the court to decide and it does absolutely come back to what I was saying before about what's best for children. What's in their best interest? How does it actually impact on them? And that's the whole point of family law is protecting children and making sure that their best interests are the paramount consideration.